So we've been working our way through the, the epistle we call Second Corinthians over the last year and a half or so, a little bit more near. And uh, but we're going to be taking a five-week break now uh, during this uh, season, four weeks and one sermon for uh, New Year's. Then we'll be back to our series in Second Corinthians in January. This uh, Advent series, we're going to be looking at four passages in the prophecies of Isaiah. Isaiah is known as uh, the the, uh, prophet who had the most to say about the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. Um, It's also a, uh, a book that, as I've shared many times with the congregation, that the Lord has used in my life over the last three and a half years to uh, encourage, strengthen, enrich, convict, and many other things in, in dramatic ways. And I'm so grateful for the Lord's ministry to me and through the book of Isaiah. And so I'm going to be taking four great passages from Isaiah that talk about the coming of Christ. And uh, the series title is what we sang this morning, Isaiah twas foretold it. Isaiah it was who foretold it. That is, this, uh, this promised in that song, um, root rose, that, uh, and it's actually uh, referring to a prophecy of Isaiah, but not the one we're talking about this morning. So, today we're in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, we're going to read the first 10 verses. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall judge by what he's... He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, 
who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Now, in the prophecies of the Old Testament pointing forward to the coming of Jesus, there are many well-known themes. He's the anointed one, the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. He's the King of Kings. He's the child of the promise. He's the son of David, the son of man, the suffering servant, the great prophet, the cornerstone, even the seed of the woman. But the one we're going to talk about this morning is relatively unknown among the Christian community, even though it's mentioned numerous times in the Old Testament prophets. We're talking about Jesus as the promised branch. Now, there's a few other places in Isaiah which refer to Jesus as the coming branch. But even more prominent ones in Jeremiah and Zechariah. Let me read a few of them for you. Jeremiah 23.5 Behold, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely. And shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Jeremiah 33.15 In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Zechariah 3.8 Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, behold, I will bring my servant the branch. And Zechariah 6.12 Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now let's talk about what is going on. Obviously there's something here, some reason that Jesus is being referred to as the branch. And what's the point? What's the picture here? What's the image? Well, as our passage says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So what we have The picture here isn't just a branch, you know, like a branch that falls off a tree or a branch that you prune off a tree, but a branch that is growing up out of what looks like a dead stump. So a tree has been cut down with an axe. They didn't have chainsaws back then, believe it or not. Cut down with an axe and a little shoot or a new tree, but looks like just a small thing now, is growing up out of the stump. And that's the picture that we have before us. And in the Bible, the first thing that you would think of when you see a stump is destruction and judgment. Because it's a tree that has been brought low. You know, like a person. It was big and glorious and high and mighty and it has been brought low and now there's just this stump left. In, uh, when John the Baptist came and began to prophesy, the first thing he said was, even now the axe is laid at the foot of the tree 
Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 3.10 And the idea, the axe is laid at the foot of the tree. When you cut down a tree, you, you put the axe where you want it, then you pull it back and you swing it. It's, and the axe is already laid at the foot of the tree. That's how close the people are to being judged by God, being destroyed by God. And so he begins to, to proclaim the message of repentance to them. Now, in our, we have to understand that for us, a stump is a little bit different than for them. Um, in, in, you know, around here, there's trees on top of trees. If you give them a place, they will grow and they're all over each other and you, they're, just, they're fighting for space. But in the Middle East, that's not the way it was. You know, in the Middle East, and especially in the land of Israel, there's a tree there, there's a tree over there, but each tree is a thing unto itself. It's not, there's, there's not, you know, cluttered trees. I remember going out west a few years ago with the graduating seniors, and we, we drove by a couple places that were national forests. And they, we laughed because, in our definition, they weren't forests at all. You know, there was like 20 feet in between trees where there was nothing there. That's not a forest, you know. Forest is when you're like walking through and the whole overhead is covered with trees. But out there in the West, in our West, the American West, you know, it's, there's, I mean, obviously there's big forests out there too. But a lot of it, there's just a tree here and a tree there. And when you get a bunch of them in sort of the same area, then you call it a forest. But to us, that's not a forest. But the same way, you know, that Israel was more like our West, in that there's a tree here and a tree there. So when there's a tree that gets cut down, that's a bigger deal than for us. For us, you cut down a tree and you know that you won't even notice it. You won't even notice it. It'll, it'll grow back. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, for the first time in a few years, I walked down into our property. I, we live in woods, 14 acres of woods, and I don't go back down there very often. And uh, turns out that I lost about 40 trees in a tornado that came through about a year ago or a year and a half ago. And I didn't even know it. I mean, it, it's... You know, until you get down there and you see all these trees and this chaos that it was caused, I hadn't even known that it happened. It's we have you know woods are there are just so many trees that a tree falls down, and there's plenty that are ready to take its place, but not so in Israel. Also, when we come to the image of a trunk of a tree, it's personal and it's targeted. This isn't, you know, a tree that fell over from old age or because the, the bugs ate it out. This is a tree that someone targeted. As someone said, I'm going to cut down this tree. And that's there as part of it. It's done on purpose. Someone came after that tree with an axe. So there's a look, there's a, in a stump there's a look of death. And, you know, everybody, when, it, when you see a stump, you think there's a dead tree. 
But anybody that spends a lot enough time around stumps knows that just because it's a stump doesn't mean it's dead inside. If that stump is recently cut, there's a good chance that there are going to be shoots that grow up out of that tree. That tree is going to try to revive itself because there's still life in the roots. And that tree, and that's exactly the, what the image is before us here today. A stump that looks dead, and yet, lo and behold, this shoot comes up out of the dead stump. And uh, so, now let's talk about um, the meaning of this in terms of the uh, redemptive historical um, story of God's salvation. In the history of the Old Testament, um, God promised that the kings of Israel would come forth out of Judah. And then God made uh, the tribe of Judah. And then one of the people that was made king out of Judah was David. And God promised David that, that he would be the beginning of a long dy- of a dynasty of kings. And that in fact, that the, the throne would never pass from, from David's ch- children. And that the son of David would, would rule on the throne forever. And, uh, and yet, something happened that made it look like this had come to a crashing end. And this is ultimately, or one of the things that we have to understand about this trunk, this cut down tree. David reigned, and then his son, and his son, and his son, and on and on. The divided kingdom, but still the son of David reigned until Babylon came and conquered Israel, Judah. And when that happened, there was no more king. There's no more throne. And they were in exile. And for 600 years, it looked like the dynasty was over, even though it had lasted hundreds of years. Now, for 600 years, even longer, it looked like it was dead. It looked like nothing was happening. It looked like that was ancient history. Imagine something happening 600 years ago and, you know, you don't expect suddenly it's going to undo itself. And yet that's exactly what happened when Jesus came. He came as the son of David to fulfill those promises of God. And he did indeed sit on, re-sit on that throne, not of the national, but in a, in a cosmic way. And... Um, there came a shoot out of that stump and it grew to be the he grew to be the greatest king of all now notice when you read the new testament that it never says you know jesus is the was the is the branch it never uses branch as a title like these old testament prophecies did But it does say Jesus is the shoot of David, referring to this passage. In Revelation 5.5, we're told that Jesus is the shoot of David. David, of course, being the son of Jesse. And so, um, in our passage, it uses shoot and branch synonymously, doesn't it? It says... There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from its roots. 
shall bear fruit. It's the same thing. So these two Hebrew words, you know, don't mean exactly for us what a branch, what branch and shoot mean. Because for us, branch and shoot are two different things. And if a, something grows up out of a stump, we wouldn't call it a branch. But that, that's a legitimate way for them to use their Hebrew word for that. So the, when we think about Jesus as the branch, it includes this concept of being a shoot. And indeed, we're told that he is the shoot that was promised in the Old Testament. Probably, this is what is behind the intriguing story that at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they had palm branches that they waved to acknowledge him as their king because he was the promised one. He was the branch that the Old Testament prophets spoke and said that would come. And it also, this may be what is behind the strange allusion to what the Old Testament scripture says in Matthew 2.23, he shall be called a Nazarene. This is to fulfill the, the, old, the prophet that said, he shall be called a Nazarene. And there is no prophet that said, he shall be called a Nazarene. But the word Nazarene is very similar to the word for branch in Hebrew. And um, it may... It may even be that Nazarene, Nazareth was named after, you know, Branchville kind of thing. And uh, that when he, and that, that's what the, this is the fulfillment. You know, his, this is referring to Isaiah 11.1 1 when it says that. Anyway, so you get the picture of what is being pro- promised here and why Jesus, this image is used to refer to Jesus. But let's now take time and just sort of consider it and what this means for us and what this means for the world and what this means for us as we contemplate the coming of Christ. Um, it's not just the, uh, the dynasty of David that seemed to have come to an end. That was just one more institution that looked like um, man had failed and man couldn't keep it going and man was had come to the end of himself and the fact is this is true in a thousand different ways everything we do eventually fails and mankind as a whole has failed and it's never, perhaps never been more clear that this is true than in our generation. Our, our hope for ourselves and our future has been cut off. There's a growing sense of bleakness as people look forward into the future. Uh, we're in a predicament where it's obvious that, you know, all of our efforts are not working. We've made enormous advances in science and knowledge about many things and tools. We've developed sophisticated technologies, but it hasn't solved our real problems. Everyone knows that we're in a big mess as a world. 
And we're not getting any closer to a resolution of it all. This group blames it on that group, and that group blames it on this group. There's lots of finger pointing and shouting. There are plenty of people that stand up and say, I can fix it. But they're just trying to con you into voting for them. Or buying their product. We try new programs and new strategies, but it's becoming more and more obvious we can't get ourselves out of this pit. We've accumulated vast amounts of wealth, more than the world has ever known before. And you would think with all these things that we would be able to move forward and get closer to resolving the issues of the world. And yet we're not. Things continue to disintegrate. No matter how hard we've tried, no matter how smart we get, no matter what measures we put in place, things aren't getting better. This is why there's a skyrocketing suicide rate. I think this is why that there's so many people dying of drug overdoses. I think this is why so many people don't even want to read the news. Don't want to pay attention to what's happening in the world around them. Because it just looks like it's just running like a snowballing down a hill with no hope in sight. You know, really good chess players can tell if they've won, that they've won or lost several moves before checkmate. You know, they say, I'm sunk. <laughs> or they say, I've got him. And that's, the, that's like, even though they're still playing, there's still people on the, on the uh, board, they're, they're, it's already obvious what's happening. And that's where we are, it seems to me, today. The game's still going. It's not over yet. But it's become more and more obvious that this world is a losing venture. There is no future. More and more mankind and this world are, look like a dead stump. Israel, in some ways, was the final proof of human failure. You know, all other societies had failed, but Israel was given special privileges. Special messages from God. He, he told them who he was. And he told them the way he works and what he required of them. He adopted them as, their, as his people. As his sons and daughters. He revealed himself to them he, he rev, so that they saw his glory. And enjoyed his presence. He entered into covenants with them. A special relationship with these special ones. He gave them his law. He told them how to live so that, so that they might prosper. He taught them how to worship. And he gave them both the privilege of worshiping and the call to worship. And also instructions of how to worship. He gave them promises. He showed them his mercies in many different ways. 
He protected them from dangers in many different ways. And yet still they failed. With all of this, they still failed. They became a flop just like the rest. And they are a dead stump just like we are, who are not Jews. What began in paradise is ending in a trash heap. I, I don't know if you've noticed the irony of what of the fires in California and the town that has been burned to the ground called Paradise. Paradise. And that, what a picture that is of where we are in the world today. We had paradise and it's burned to the ground. But out of the dust and the ashes of man's self-destruction has arisen a small seedling. It looks insignificant, but it is growing and has been growing. It's growing into a mighty tree. And it's destined to become larger than all the other trees. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus came into the broken desolate world that we that was a result of our sin and his curse responding to our sin he is the shoot that grows out of the seemingly dead trunk dead stump Jesus himself looks like a dead he looked like a dead tree stump himself didn't he unjustly cut down but then suddenly he burst forth in new life. And now he is growing up into a whole new world. Some see and receive this hope. And others, though they long for a solution to the death and desolation, they don't want Christ to be the solution. They don't want to be any part of his solution. And they keep singing their depressing dirge of despair in our ears. And it's easy to get sucked into this world's misery and despair. We live in this world and we breathe its air every day. It fills our society's songs and our movies and our political discourse and our jokes and our conversations. But the fact is, in Christ, we have hope. We have life. And God calls us to not pay attention to the atmosphere of this world, but to be listening to the song of heaven. The song of God's promises, the song of what he has begun, the song of Christ's hope, the song of his promises. He says to us, 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when he returns, then you will also appear with him in glory. So we have a glorious future in store for us, not a bleak one. Jesus has bound up the strong man and he is now plundering his house of stolen treasures. And when all his treasures have been gathered, he will come again and make all things right and bring us to our glorious home. And so our future is not death and destruction. It is life and thriving. But the life is in Christ. Our own earthly hopes, our dreams, our ambitions may well get chopped down. But Jesus rises up as our hope and our identity. When I was young, I had ambitions, I had dreams of what my life would be. I had expectations of how things would work out. I had hopes of how I would be received and loved in the context of my family, my marriage, my ministry, my friends. And though God has richly blessed me in many ways, by and large, my dreams have not been realized, my earthly dreams. And frankly, I'm so glad they weren't. Because out of the dead trunk, the dead stump of my dreams has grown a shoot that is so much better than my best dreams and hopes. If all my dreams and hopes had been fulfilled, I'd be, all, I'd be all wrapped up in enjoying them and glorying in them. But I am left with Jesus. And what a wonderful thing it is to be left with Jesus. For his loving kindness is better than life. Even life at its best I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. From the song by Ray Miller. And so I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing privilege of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We sing a song that talks about, that talks, tells a story by John Newton tells a story similar to what I've experienced. I, I, uh, I connect with it every time we sing it. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. 
might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I'd schemed, humbled my heart, and made me low, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? "'Tis in this way,' the Lord replied, "'I answer prayer for grace and faith. "'These inward trials I employ from self and pride "'to set thee free "'and break thy schemes of earthly joy "'that thou mayest find thy all in me.'" In my opinion, there's a heresy being taught in many churches, in many books today, which paints God as the great miracle grow, helping people to become bigger and better. But the fact is, God is a lumberjack who chops down our pride and our earthly glory our self-sufficiency and our self-assurance, and then lets Jesus spring up from the dead stump, from our brokenness and our humbleness, and causes us to thrive in His new life. You see, I think God loves stumps. He loves those who have been cut low. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A broken and contrite heart he will not despise. I keep wanting God to improve me, but it seems instead he wants to replace me. To live his life in me instead of letting me live my life in a new improved way. May our lives be stumps out of which the Son of God springs up in hope and in eternal life. And now we come to the Lord's table and we celebrate the one who came and was cut down for us was laid low and yet who rose up again in life and in splendor and he invites us not just to remember what he did but to participate in what he did and to become part of him part of his death 
part of his resurrection. That we might know the fellowship of his suffering, but also the fellowship of his resurrection power. Let us pray. We thank you, O Lord, for your invitation. Feed on you. For we know, Lord Jesus, that you are the bread of life, the true food, and the true drink. Lord, we cram things that this world offers us into our mouths, but they don't really yield anything helpful. We know that what we really need is you. So now, in response to your invitation, we come grateful, humble, to partake of Christ. Please, may we feed and be enriched today by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.